With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever you are in the world. Uh, we have not really an NFT project today. It's a full metaverse project, and it's coming very, very, very soon. Uh, and it's a really big one. So we're very excited to have Dan Nisanoff here today with us. Uh, we got Mike Demetrio with me today, another a fellow Y Whale YPO member. Um, and and so, Mike, you've spent a little bit of time kind of looking into silks, um, not because you're a horse guy, but because you know you clearly are interested in kind of the next generation of web. Three and metaverse is absolutely included. So I, I thank you for coming on here today, um, Dan. Let's let's go jump back over to you and, and a little background. So where did you come from? What did you want to be when you grew up? And and you know how did you end up on here? Sure. Uh, so I'm uh, originally from Los Angeles. I moved to New York City when I was 23 year old years old to go to law school. Uh, I went to NYU and uh, did not think I was going to practice law. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But I did very well in school, got a great job at a big firm, and practiced uh, corporate bankruptcy law for a couple of years um, at a firm called Wild Gotchel. Um, learned a lot about uh, businesses and how they fail. That's kind of the nice thing about corporate bankruptcy is you get to see kind of where the uh, needle, you know, jumped off the record player. <laughs> um, so that was a really cool experience, but I, I quickly realized I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and that's what I did. In 19, at the end of 1994, uh, I quit practicing law, and I started my first uh, venture-backed company, a company called Partminer. And it was right around the beginning of the internet. Uh, the internet was really kind of commercialized in 1995 in a clunky way, but it was uh, you know available to the public. Um, around the same time eBay started, around the same time Amazon started, I started a company called Partminer. It became the um, the preeminent B2B exchange for the semiconductor industry. So every vertical had a winner, and we were the winner in the in the semiconductor industry. Um, uh, very large companies invested in us. We built a, a, a massive platform, had about 1,000 employees in 28 countries, and rode the wave of the internet. Um, and uh, I ran that business for about 11 years. Uh, sold, uh, I sold out to a um, private equity secondary market firm. The company ultimately sold to a public company um, well after the bubble burst. Um, and, uh, and I started my second company um, shortly thereafter, a company called Portero, um, which is essentially... Um, should have been the real real if you're familiar with that company. It's a luxury goods business. Um, we were the exchange for the luxury goods industry backed by Richemont, which is the second largest conglomerate of luxury goods in the world. Um, I, was, uh, I ran that company with a partner for two years and ultimately stepped out. Um, I, uh, um, I wrote a book after that, uh, a book on consumerism and the internet, which became a bestseller uh, in 2007. Uh, ran around doing a lot of public speaking and uh, was encouraged to write another book. And I decided, nope, I want to go back to being an entrepreneur. So I started my third company. This was my only non-technology business 
called uh, Make Meaning, which was a really cool uh, experiential retail concept in arts and crafts. Um, big box, heavily branded um, stores where you could literally decorate a cake, make glassware, ceramics, candles, soap, jewelry, stationery, lots of really cool things. Uh, and we rolled out about 20 stores all over the world. Um, that was fun. Um, and then I went back to tech. Uh, I took off. I took off a year to two years between each business, and uh, in 2017 started a company called the Crown League. Um, and our promise was to institutionalize fantasy football into a um, professional sport. And the way we were doing that was by creating public entities uh, where the equity was represented in the form of security tokens and the players were represented in the form of NFTs. Now, this was very early uh, in Web3. And uh, um, not from a technology perspective as much as from adoption by consumers and and regulatory. And so uh, we went down a path, raised a lot of money, um, built a very complex um, uh, and promising business to Uh, essentially take fantasy football, marry it to the blockchain, and create a media company that covered the game in the context of our league. So imagine watching, for those of you that that play fantasy football, imagine watching the Red Zone, which aggregates all of the um, touchdowns and, and important plays during the course of the day. And instead of, you know, them talking about Tom Brady throwing a touchdown for the Buccaneers, they're talking about Tom Brady throwing a touchdown for the Philadelphia sidekicks. Um, and all the plays being broadcast and contextualized as if they're talking about your team. Um, and that was a very cool business. Um, a little early, we ultimately sold it to the, um, the NFL, spun out their Hall of Fame assets to uh, a SPAC called the Hall of Fame Villages. Uh, and they acquired the business and, and ultimately launched the first season, I think, a year ago. Um, and... Uh, so, so you you've been around the block to to, to say I to have. say the least. So before we jump into the the current project, which is why you're here, uh, can we jump back to 1994, 95? Sure. Um, and I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts about you know right at that cusp of of Web One getting mainstream adoption. And I think that today people really struggle. And in fact, you know, for a lot of our younger uh, you know YNGers and whatnot, they they have no idea what it was like pre internet. To live in to live in that world, to you know, talk to us about that. That you know, you knew something was coming, but the rest of the world still thought it was just some like little fad that nerds were going to play with. You know, it's so interesting because it does take me back to a different era, right? Um, I thought in 1995 that the world was going to change, and by 1996, money was falling from the sky. In fact, if you had a business and bought a URL, um, you could call yourself an internet company and raise $5 million overnight, um, because people had no idea what an internet company was, what a dot-com was. And so I watched the transition from nobody knowing what the internet was to a very clunky internet, if you remember the World Wide Web and and Netscape and all of those platforms that um, Outlook Explorer. They were very clunky in the beginning. There was very little content, um, and it rapidly evolved. I would say there was a tipping point probably around 19, late 1996. Um, emails came about and become adopt, became adopted very quickly. I remember dating a girl where we were sending each other faxes. Um, 
because email didn't exist. <laughs> she was now, in now, Italy and I was in the U.S. And, yeah, uh, and, and and I think the one I want to really, when we talk about email, let's let's pretend like a, a number of our audience doesn't even understand what a crazy concept, you know, because it was it wasn't email back then; it was electronic mail. It's Eudora. And, I used Eudora. Yeah, Eudora. But but if you were on like Prodigy and you wanted to to you know, and, and you had a friend that was on CompuServe. They did. You couldn't talk to each right. other. Like no, it was they were, like they were in, they were closed bulletin boards. I yeah. Mean, so it's yeah. very much like what you know we see with Ethereum and Solana. Like we see bridges now because people know that you want to be cross chain, but it's clunky. It's a mess. It's a disaster. And that used to be it. You had to like send an email to a specific address, like an entirely different thing. It was chaos. Yeah. I mean, you'll appreciate this. In 1995, looking back at you know at the at Internet 1.0, I would argue that. That in our lifetime, the internet was up to today the most significant uh, invention that impacted our world. Right? It opened up communication. It opened up commerce. Uh, it opened up frictionless exchange of information. Lots of things that changed our world. And so, my test for people that you know, you know, say they understand blockchain, um, is very simple. Um, when I say to you that blockchain is going to impact our world 10 times more than the internet did. Does that resonate with you? Do you understand the significance of what's about to happen in our world? And most people include my very highly sophisticated network can't answer that question. They have no clue. And I would argue that in 1995, most consumers had no clue. And when they looked at people investing in the internet, they were laughing at them. They were like, you guys are crazy. Yeah. This is all going to go to zero. No, there's, 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 a the lot, famous, there's the famous did, interviews. Right? A lot did go yeah. to zero, and people. Yeah, of course, a lot did because there's hot. always chaos before yeah. there's order, right? The greatest evolutions in our world always start with with revolutions, right? The Wild West formed into our democracy. Um, uh, you always see chaos before order, and so we're in that phase right now, right? People are just trying to figure it out, and what's unique here is that there's still so much friction. Um, and it's still not mainstream, but we're getting there. I think that, you know, and this is really a good uh, segue, you know, NFTs are are something that consumers can relate to, right? They're visual. Um, and uh, and gaming is something consumers can relate to. And, and, uh, and so we're beginning to see the very early stages of of mainstream adoption. And we have a ways to go, but it's going to come pretty fast and furious, um, I think, from where we are right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what? it's hard to believe. You know, everyone thinks, oh, my God, you know, the blockchain is so advanced. Things are happening. But, you know, back in, in 95 and, you know, even 96 and going a little further, you know, the best the best uses for that for that technology didn't come for another, you know, quite a few years. Um, hadn't been conceptualized. And I think that we're there right now. I mean, we look at, at everything that's happening and people are saying, you know, hey, this blockchain is clearly the winner. Um, this is this this technology or this coin is clearly the winner. Um, and I'd like to point out, we, we're, we're still in the first inning here. Like we, we've barely even scratched the we're, surface. We're, we're barely scratching the surface yeah, right now. I mean, now. It, it is it is so early. Um, but but let's segue because, you know, again, as someone who's who's lived this life, um, you've, you've been through Web 1, you've been through Web 2. Um, and, you know, God love you, you're back for, for round three here with Web 3. Um, talk to us a little bit about, like, what brought you into the fold? You know, what, what about cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and, and web made you want to come do this again? Um, and then let's talk a little bit about what you're building and why. Sure. So um, I never thought I would see a repeat of, uh, of what I experienced during the heyday of the Internet. 
Um, and then uh, and then blockchain came about, and I lived it. I was there during um, you know what we'll call the early days of Web three. Um, and uh, and then I I was like I'm blessed. I, I can't believe that I'm experiencing this again. Um, and now it's ten times bigger. It's like this is my third bite at the apple. Um, I describe the environment I'm living in right now as I'm standing under a waterfall with my mouth open, and I can't consume a fraction um, of what's out there. Um, so super exciting. I'm attracted to bleeding edge technology, which is why I get involved very early. Um, I think when you look at my successes and I look, I swing for the fences. I'm a startup tech entrepreneur. So, um, the outcomes when you invest in my companies are binary. I'm either going to hit it out of the park or I'm going to strike out. And, you know, not that dissimilar to the baseball analogy, right? Strikeout. I mean, home run hitters have the biggest strikeout records too, because there's a correlation between taking risk and, uh, and failure and success and the order of magnitude of your success. Um, so I'm attracted to these type of things. Um, and I, I'm a techie, so I keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. Um, and, uh, uh, I just jumped right into this. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I never stepped off the gas with, uh, with crypto. I was an early adopter. Um, I bought my first Bitcoin transaction was two hundred and twenty dollars for, for a Bitcoin. Um, okay, and then I started trading, um, and and then when Bitcoin got away from me, I said, you know what, I'm not going to trade anymore. I'm just buying and accumulating. So uh, I have a standing purchase for a handful of tokens that I've been buying uh, every day for the last two years, um, and that's I have a very strong conviction around certain um, certain tokens and why I believe that. Um, they have, you know, significant potential value and uh, sustainable value. Um, outside the scope of this conversation, but happy to talk about it at some point. Um, no, I, I think it's a very interesting point and, and something for those people that may have jumped in a little early into some things. You know, I, I talk often about my first Bitcoin purchase was, you know, very early 2010, um, 100 Bitcoins for $20. And so the problem that I had for years was I had no value in these things um, because I, when I threw away that computer, like I just it was the last thing on my mind. It was there was no it wasn't a, I went to the trouble of acquiring them, but you know there was no wallets back then. It was even before the the big uh, the big hacks and some of those issues. But you know everything everything in the news you heard about Bitcoin was always negative. And I go, eh, you know I, I did that. We'll see where it goes. And and I think the thing to remember is for anyone that did get disenfranchised early in the technology. It's okay to come back and say, like, oops, you know, like now now let's let's figure out a way to reentry because we're still so early. You know, someone who said, I'm not gonna use the internet, you know, in, in nineteen ninety five because they had a bad experience in nineteen ninety three, like okay, it's nineteen ninety seven now. Would you would you like to try again? And so I think that that's a really important story, Dan, that you said that it's like it's okay to to be wrong. Um, it's okay to, to say like, okay, I have to change my strategy or change my thought process because uh, the world is, is clearly going in this direction. Yeah. And, and I would say, Jay, that it's not about when you got in to Bitcoin. It's whether you had the stomach to hold it, how long you held it for. Because I, I can tell you I sold that $220 you know, token. Um, I forgot about it, actually. You know what I did is I bought it. And I played around with it just to play around the technology. And yeah. there, were, there wasn't much you could do with it back then. But, you know, yeah. if you got creative, you could kind of navigate different places that would accept it. And, and I did. And I, you know, um, I bought things. 
Uh, and then I forgot about it. And yeah. a few well, years well, later, only so much heroin. Like, only so much. <laughs> exactly. It gets boring. Um, and uh, and then one day I, I open I open up the paper and they talk about Bitcoin being at three thousand dollars or something. And I'm like, wait a second. Let me see if I still can find that that Bitcoin that I bought. And sure enough, uh, and then I flipped it. Um, and then I started looking at the technology more seriously. And then I started buying it and then trading it and. The rest is history. But I agree. I think, you know, we're at the very early stages. Um, you know, people don't remember that Amazon was once a bookstore, an online bookstore, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's the largest, you know, one of the largest companies, one of the most valuable companies in the world, changing, it's literally changed our, our world and our lives. Yeah. Um, and I and think that we're in for some of the greatest companies in the world coming out of this space. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing. If you bought, you know, Amazon's IPO way back when, and you said, eh, I've already invested in with them. I'm done. You, you really missed out on the evolution of, of the technology and the, and the platform and everything they've done. So, but for every dollar you invested, you made about $20,000 <laughs> or you could have bought a if book. You, if you held on to it or you yeah, could have bought it, a and book. That's, and that's my problem is I never, I, it, even the hundred bitcoins I bought for the $20, had they gotten to $10 a piece, I would have sold them. Exactly. So it, it was never, you know, I, I have no qualms about it. And it's a, it's a funny story, is it? Um, but no, I, I love it. So let's, let's pivot over and, and I really want to, to hear about silks. So, so Dan, I mean, clearly, again, tons of experience, web one, web two, lots of things going on. Let, let's go through silks. Um, because again, with this being a full metaverse play, there's a lot more going on than, than a traditional NFT project. You've got uh, a lot of tech and clearly you have a background to manage this. So, um, you know, if we can run through your, your deck, I'd really appreciate kind of a good understanding from where you're at today, as well as where you're going. So, um, so I've been um, I've been in the online gaming business, so to speak. My last company, my last blockchain company, was in fantasy football. Um, gaming is one of the first on ramps um, to major technology shifts, and the first point where consumers tend to adopt. And we saw that um, we saw that in a few different places, right? We saw that uh, with poker. Poker was once a game that was frowned upon. It was played in the back rooms of restaurants and in your basement with your friends, but never really a glamified game. Online poker came about in 2001 and literally changed the nature of the game, using the internet um, to create uh, an interface between millions of people that could now enjoy this game in a competitive way. And so that literally revolutionized the game. Um, today, there are 60 million people in the United States that play online poker. Um, 2009, the same thing happened for fantasy sports. Fantasy sports was a game where you got together with your friends in your house, you settled contests with newspapers, and the internet came around, somebody came up with the idea of automating it and integrating it into a game that could be played amongst strangers, um, and, uh, and lo and behold, fantasy sports literally um, uh, came out and reinvented uh, how we consume sports overnight. Again, 60 million people in the United States play that game on a regular basis. Um, we think blockchain is going to revolu revolutionize uh, gaming, um, and we want to be a part of it. So I created the first platform, uh, which I talked to you about earlier, and now we're creating Silks. Silks is literally going to port the real world of thoroughbred racing into the metaverse, and that's what we'll talk about. So why don't we, um, what I'd love to do is give you a little foundation for okay. what I'm seeing, what we see, and, and, and essentially the background for why we're moving in this direction. So Please. if we go to the next slide. 
the first thing is Web3. And I know I'm talking to an educated um, uh, audience here. Um, the Internet was created 25 years ago as we see it today, um, certainly from a consumer perspective. Um, and what we see is the Internet being literally torn down and rebuilt um, into Web3, the third generation of the Internet. Um, and if you look at the historical internet, it was really replicating um, our lives in a two-dimensional way. So if you bought a television 30 years ago, you would order a catalog in the mail. It would show up. You'd flip through the catalog, call up a television company, maybe visit the store and buy it after you've done your research. Today, you don't do something that dissimilar. You go on Best Buy, you scroll down a two-dimensional database um, that shows you the most current televisions that are available, uh, and you might just order a TV that way, or you might go to the store with the information you acquired. Not very different. Web 3.0 promises to recreate the way we behave in the real world online uh, and essentially create a relationship with people and with um, consumables and durable goods in a way that has never been experienced before. So, you know, um, in a year from now, you'll be able to walk down a grocery store. Uh, it'll feel like a video game. You'll be able to grab things off the shelf, look at them, throw them in your cart, and check out like you would in a grocery store. Um, and in two or three years from now, you'll do it with a headset, and it will feel as real as we feel sitting talking to each other right now um, uh, a thousand miles away. Um, so uh, that's Web3, and we want to be a part of it. We want to create something that really is relevant and changes the world. Awesome. The next thing we see on the next slide um, is the enabling technologies for Web3. Um, I won't get into a lot of detail around blockchain, um, uh, but it's blockchain, it's the crypto uh, tokens that are powering blockchain, and it's NFTs that are creating a whole new way um, uh, to, uh, uh, to create, um, to, to interact with assets, uh, to create assets, um, and, you know, the early adoption is taking place in art collectibles and gaming, um, which is not unusual because blockchain and crypto is hard to get your head around, right? The average consumer, really, it takes me about an hour to literally build the building blocks for somebody that's unfamiliar with it to truly understand it and understand its implications. Yep. With, to with NFTs, um, it's much more digestible because you can relate to it as something that you visually see and that exists in the real world. Absolutely. No, and, and it's it's such a, once people understand it, it's a much easier concept to understand than traditional art. Because there's, there's you can trace it, you can see it, you can, so you can I'll, find I'll, data. I'll share with you and with the audience something that's really f an easy way for me to get people to cross the bridge. So people ask me, they're like, I don't understand it. It's a digital piece of art. Can't I just copy it? Um, and my response to them is, you can copy it, just like you can. anybody can copy real art. Um, and I take them to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, and I say, look at that Renoir. It's a $300 million painting. It's actually priceless, but you could probably buy it for $300 million. And when you stand there, you're in awe looking at this thing. Why? And, and the real answer is because I'm in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I know it's real. I know it's a one-of-a-kind because it's sitting here. It's the context that the destination gives you that yep. makes it special. And so I take them to a – there's a company called um, 
uh, on cyber.io, Cyber Factory 2. I don't know if you're familiar with it. They build structures. They're micro, they're, they're, they're microverses where you can own a structure in the form of an NFT and you can decorate that structure with your own NFTs. Um, and I encourage you to take a look at it. Um, and so I'll take people into one of these microstructures and I'll say, look around. This is a collection of NFTs. And what you're looking at is a collection of, of, um, of, of bored apes. And I, and I could tell from the collection there's probably $2 million worth of art sitting in this structure that we can walk around and look at. And I can tell you this is worth millions of dollars because all I have to do is walk up to the art, push a button, and it'll take me to the wallet. It'll take me to OpenSea where I can validate that this is genuine. And I'm looking at something that I can sell for $250,000, $300,000 or more. Yep. And, and that creates that's essentially the same thing. So they begin to understand that where we're moving as a society is you no longer need something tangible to appreciate its value. Um, and that's yeah. just the future. Absolutely. Um, you know, this slide really talks about how early we are. So uh, less than two years ago, there were, you know, in 2020, $9 million in NFT sales. Last year, $25 billion. And this year we're at a run rate of over $100 billion. Um, in crazy. sales. It's crazy. crazy. Yep. Uh, and then you look at the MetaMask adoption, right? In July of 2020, they were in the entire world. MetaMask is the largest custodial, non-custodial wallet. You need it to buy NFTs, right? Yep. Um, 550,000 people had NFT, uh, had, uh, had MetaMask wallets in 2020. By the middle of last year, that number grew to 10, bill, 10 million. And le- as of December, it was 21 million. You know, we'll see this at, at hundreds of millions or at a billion by the end of this year. Crazy. That's how fast we're moving. And and no one actually likes MetaMask. <laughs> oh, it's 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 horrible. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the biggest friction right now um, to consumer adoption. For me to teach a neophyte how to buy an NFT, right? The first thing they have to do is buy cryptocurrency. Right. So they have to go to Coinbase, set up an account. Right? Then they have to fund the account. Then they have to buy Ethereum. Then they have to transfer. Then they have to create a MetaMask wallet, transfer Ethereum to a MetaMask wallet, and then they have to figure out how to connect it to OpenSea and how to actually transact. It's yeah. not easy. No, we, we um, do it every day. And that totally need, understand. That, right? And so we need to fix that first. And it's coming. You know, I believe that we'll be there by the end of the year. And I think that that will create the on ramp for the masses to come on board. So we're close. Absolutely. But that's the friction. Um, and this is the really important slide that will transition us into silks. So um, if you look at historically at gaming, um, gaming was, you know, essentially there was a video game company. They'd create a title and build a franchise around it, build a community of users, sell you access to it. But you never really owned anything. So even um, one of the ubiquitous titles like Fortnite, you could buy skins to create custom characters, you couldn't take those characters and move them to another platform. In fact, you didn't even own the skin that you paid for. Um, The only way to transfer those assets was to sell your account, which some sites would allow you to do and some sites wouldn't allow you to do. That's the history of video gaming. And what we're seeing now is the convergence of video gaming, gambling, and investing into a new category called play to earn. Some people call it GameFi. Um, and, and what that is is essentially a new model where it's essentially crowdsourcing communities that want to get behind a project that they can own a piece of, 
have a, have a seat at the table in the direction of that project and make money playing that, playing that game. Um, that's where the future is. Um, the future of this new entertainment, it's a, it's really a new entertainment category. Um, and, uh, it's going to revolutionize the way we interact socially, how we entertain ourselves, um, and how we spend our time, uh, in the form of gaming and entertainment. And that's the space that we're in. And that's the audience that we're looking to meet there. Yep, absolutely. Um, the metaverse, the metaverse is a catalyst for these games. Um, you're seeing every major company in, in, in the world converging on this space. And you asked me an earlier question around 1995 and today. Yep. It's the same thing. I remember the biggest companies in the world trying to figure out, what are we going to do about this internet? First, they were scared, right? They oh, were yeah. scared of being disintermediated. And, um, and then they eventually were forced to develop strategies. The same thing is happening right now. Every major company in the world right now is thinking about how they respond to this. What are they going to do? How are they going to carve out their piece of this future? Because they have to. If you're static, you die. Yep. Um, Nike acquired Artifact, one of the, you know, one of the greatest NFT companies to date. Um, we don't even know how much they paid for that company, but you know, I was there when uh, when they dropped the uh, Clonex vials, and I bought one. It was ninety two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh my gosh! Um, and uh, I sold mine for. I had a very generic one that I sold for fifty four thousand dollars a few months ago, and I and that was silly. I should have kept it because I missed out on about twelve thousand dollars worth of free airdrops. It, you know, it, it's so like, and this is the thing for people to understand: like, for every one you know, the uh, NFT thing that's promised with some hype that actually does this, I, I have to buy a hundred that go nowhere. And so, you know, when <clears> you say, oh, I got out too early, it's like, <laughs> like, like what? Like so, there's, there's times where I have, you know, 10 X on an NFT and I, I tell people I'm selling, like, no, you should wait. I'm like, wait for what? <laughs> wait, what? Like, where is it going to go? <laughs> well, I mean, if you bought an Andy Warhol, um, you know, uh, in 1970, yeah. Uh, you know, it's still growing in value. So in terms of art yeah. and... Yeah, no, I, I don't, you know, I'm not an art guy. So I, I struggle, I I struggle I mean, with some of these things too. But you know, no, you it, might, it, you, it's amazing to watch. It's amazing to watch some of these valuations. And, you know, when people talk about like, where are we? It's like, you know, are we in a bubble? It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, we absolutely of course are, we are. are in a bubble. Um, but but that there's always winners that will come out of this. And that's and that's where you, the maturity... Uh, and, and, you know, the teams really come into play. Um, a good team, a good founder can, is always who I invest in. I mean, that's, that, that's my 20 years in VC. It's like you invest in the team and a little less in the project. Um, I completely agree. <clears throat> um, and forgive the analogy, you know, they, they, they always say you bet on the, uh, on the jockey, not the horse, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I've never done horse racing. Although the reality is in horse racing, jock. Yeah, not in silks. And in the reality of horse racing, jockeys are actually um, more uh, of a commodity than people think. More fungible? Um, and more fungible, yes. Uh, Microsoft is acquiring Activision for $69 billion. Facebook rebranded to Meta and is recreating itself in a more three-dimensional, um, experiential way. So this is just a little smattering of what's going on. Uh, I'm talking to companies every day that are trying to figure this out. Um, Again, what we're building is we're building a play-to-earn uh, gamified metaverse okay. uh, around um, thoroughbred horse racing, and we're literally um, we're literally 
porting over a real-world economy and replicating it in the same way. Uh, and I'm excited kind of to share uh, to share the vision. Yeah, so let's go to this slide over here because this is really where the economy starts. This is the real-world thoroughbred horse racing economy, and it okay. starts with horses, right? So, so these, these are actual stats from existing, like, in-real-life horses? Yes, this is the okay. real economy of U.S. thoroughbred horse racing. It okay. starts with 20,000 horses that are born every year and registered to race. So when you have a horse that's born and you want it to race as an adult, it needs to be registered with the National Registrar, which is called the Jockey Club. You have to send in DNA samples and records to prove that your horse came from the original thoroughbred, uh, comes from that bloodline. Um, Once you register your horse, it's now qualified to race. During the course of its early growth, horses are sold uh, to investors. They're sold as weanlings when they're born. They're sold as yearlings when they're one-year-old. And then they're sold as two-year-olds and onwards. In this country, you have to be two years old as a horse to be able to race. And so the most popular auctions are the yearling sales um, because the horse is already developed but not yet racing. Um, and those sales attract a significant amount of, uh, of transactions. Uh, the aggregate number of vo- volume of horses sold uh, in terms of dollars is about a billion dollars a year, wow. um, which is a big number. Once you buy a horse, you have to house it, feed it, care for it, and train it to get it ready to race because it can't race till it's two. That costs about forty or $50,000 a year. And you can outsource that to a farm. When your horse is ready to race, and typically it, they, it's, a, it's between two and three years old, they can enter one of 30,000 races that are hosted in this country. Those 30,000 races attract over 50 million people who bet over $11 billion on the races. And the tracks, in order to incentivize the owners of these horses um, to race, give away 10% of that prize pool, uh, of that money, of the, of the handle, um, to the owners of the winning horses. And that's about a billion dollars a year. So as a horse owner, you're vying for your share of the billion dollars in prize purse and of the billion dollars in breeding opportunities. Right? A horse in the real world is valued based on its prospects of winning races and based on its desirability as a breeding candidate. By example, I'll give you kind of an example of a real-world horse and its value. A horse that you might have bought for $100,000 is one-year-old that races and at three years old enters the Kentucky Derby. The Kentucky Derby is is a race for the 20 best um, three-year-old horses in the United States. Um, You can actually enter one from outside the U.S., but it's 20 of the best horses that are three years old. If your horse enters that race and wins that race, um, it will win millions of dollars. Um, but you will also be able to retire that horse shortly after that race and get at least $100,000 a pop uh, for its breeding rights. A male horse or a stallion can breed uh, at least 200 horses a year, if not more. 
And they're beginning to cap that, but they could technically breed 400 horses a year, but we'll call it 200. At $100,000 a it's pop, it's a busy it's, horse. It's a, it's a busy horse, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that horse is uh, and that horse is making 20 million dollars a year for you. That horse has a life cycle, has a life expectancy of 25 to 30 years old, and can breed for most of its life. So if you own that horse, you now have a revenue stream. Of $20 million a year, you could probably sell that horse for a couple of hundred millions of million dollars. And you paid two years ago $100,000 for that horse. That's something that you can't do in any other industry. And it's the reason why people are addicted to this game. Because you can create so much value so quickly. Um, and, that's, and, and, and that's just one example. There are 50 graded races in this country that would create that kind of outcome if you have a horse that consistently is winning. Um, and if we have time, I'll show you some of the statistics, which are mind-boggling. Awesome. No, this is fabulous. So that's the economy. Um, the way we're recreating that economy is by creating derivative assets and tokenizing them. So um, what is a derivative asset? Um, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is an index that tracks 40, a basket of 40 stocks, right? Um, 30 or 40 stocks. Uh, the S&P 500 is an index that tracks 500 stocks. The index moves up or down based on the value of the underlying stocks, so based on their productivity. If the stocks in the aggregate go up in value, the S&P goes up in value and vice versa. You can buy instruments that essentially allow you to profit from those movements, um, and those are called options, uh, ETFs, and futures. Uh, in sports, Fantasy sports operate the same way. You essentially acquire derivative assets of real players whose productivity determines if you're going to win real money. So when you draft a quarterback or a wide receiver to your team, their productivity determines how many points you get in a given game and how much money you're going to win in that game or in that season. Um, we're doing the same thing in this space. What we're doing is we are tokenizing... Um, we are creating a derivative digital asset of every horse born in this country and registered to race each year and tokenizing them into a digital asset in the form of an NFT. And if we go to the next slide, I'll explain to you what that token does. Okay. So that token <clears throat> tracks uh, every real-world horse from the day that they're born. Uh, it records their bloodline. It records every time the owner of that horse publishes a workout or a training schedule. That's very popular. It's kind of like the combine in football, um, where you get to watch a horse's productivity before it ever races. Um, it also tracks sibling productivity. So a horse that hasn't raced yet is valued based on a few things. It's valued based on its bloodline. So does it come from championship horses that have demonstrated productivity? Um, its, tra its value fluctuates based on its workout. How well is it training? How fast is it running on the track? And even more importantly than that, it's valued based on its sibling productivity. So a typical horse will have hundreds of older siblings, many of them just beginning to race. And when those horses race and win big races, the value of your horse goes up significantly. So you might buy a horse at auction for $50,000. Its older sibling wins a big graded race, and that horse could be worth a half a million dollars overnight. And we see that every single day. It tracks the sales history. It tracks news about the horse. Every time your horse is scheduled to race, it notifies you. Every time your horse races, it notifies you. It tracks their breeding, their offspring, the productivity of their offspring. Um, there's lots of data here. Sports is made up of two things, data and content, right? Visual content and data. And we bring together all of that 
And uh, and if you own one of these tokens, uh, you are you now have access to all of that information in real time being pushed to you. Um, the idea for us is to create the equivalent, both economically and emotionally, that you experience as the owner of a real horse in the digital world. And that's the promise of what will happen when you buy one of these NFTs. So every horse of which, if we go back over to, to this slide here, so we're saying there's 20,000 new horses uh, that are registered annually. Correct. You're saying that there's going to be 20,000, or not probably 100% of these, but you're saying that there's going to be all these new horses that are coming into play, and there's a one NFT that is a, is a one-to-one representation of that horse It's and everything about it. Correct. So the best way to look at it is in a traditional sport like football, baseball, basketball, hockey. Uh, every year you have a class of rookies that come in, right? New no. entrants that are competitors that are added to the teams. Okay. Um, in the case of traditional sports, there are a few hundred rookies a year that come into the sport, and they have a, uh, a life cycle. So a running back in the NFL has an average career of three years. A wide receiver might have an average career of six years, and so on and so forth. In the horse racing world, we have 20,000 rookies that enter the market each year. Those rookies can race between the ages of 2 and 10 years old. And they can breed for most of their lives. And they can live for up to 30 years. So what you're buying is 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 a competitor in a sport that can be productive for a very long period of time and can produce benefits for you as the owner based on that productivity. So these are long-term assets. Um... So, that you're investing in. So in in, in in like fantasy football, like Mike could choose his team, I could choose my team, and we could both have some of the same players on those teams. Correct. But you're in this case, only one person can have that NF, the NFT of that one horse. Correct. Except that in our model, you can syndicate your horse like you can in the real world okay. by selling an interest in that horse to other people. So you can fractionalize your horse and invite your friends or your family. Your fr- I, to- so I just want, I want, I need to start, we need to start differentiating between real li- real world and, and, and NFTs. So you can fractionalize ownership of your NFT. That's correct. NFT horse. Okay. Correct. And the way we do that um, is there are 10 tokens that make up a horse. There's a governance token and nine limited partnership tokens. And so... If you own the governance token, you control the decisions that you make around that horse. Uh, but you could also be a passive partner in that horse by owning an LP token. And that's kind of how technically we're doing it. Um, and these are all kind of freely tradable. So by comparison to fantasy football, most fantasy football teams are made up of people who partner together to buy in together. So you can sell an interest in your team to a friend who becomes your partner in that team for the season or for if you're in a dynasty league forever. Um, so it actually mimics both the real world of horse racing where syndication is a, um, is a very common thing to do uh, and the real world of fantasy sports, which is, which is a very common thing to do as well. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, so let, let's let's ask the question right here. So, we've got a, a one-to-one representation of of a physical, real-world asset. Um, who 
is the is the actual like owner of that horse? Do they get anything from this, or are they one of the LPs, or um, is there it just exists a hundred percent in the digital world, and there's no tie back to the original horse? So that's a great question, um, and the answer is that the owners of the actual horse have nothing to do with this platform. Um, at least on the outset. Um, These are digital assets that are derived from historical, statistical sports data that's integral to the actual sport. And the Supreme Court has determined uh, many years ago that, uh, that that's public domain regardless of infringement on publicity rights and regardless of infringement on trademark. And the reason they determined that um, and the case law that that was developed around that came out of fantasy sports. It's the reason fantasy sports exists today. You can use the name Tom Brady. You can use the fact that he threw three touchdowns for the Buccaneers 10 weeks ago in a game. Um, What you can't do without licensing is use his likeness, so use a picture of him and attach it to that data. And you also can't use the logo of the Buccaneers and attach it to that data. But the data itself and his name combined, you're allowed to use royalty-free and without permission. Okay. And the same, th- and and we rely on that uh, on that body of law because this is essentially a uh, our our platform, as you'll understand as we go through the the game and the economics, is essentially mirroring a dynasty fantasy horse ownership game. Um, that tracks the real world um, <clears throat> at its core. Awesome. Uh, and so that's the answer. Now, we believe that the real world of horses, that owners in the real world will want to own their horse equivalent. So we think there will be a market for owners of their horses to buy their, uh, their digital horses. We also think that our horses will become ways for horse owners to arbitrage their races. So, for example, if your horse was in... Uh, in a in a in a million dollar race against twelve other horses, you might want to own some of the competitive horses because if your horse loses, you're still going to win money uh, in the metaverse if you own one of the other horses. So it could be used as a arbitrage tool, um, and we actually think there's going to be a lot of very interesting dynamics between the experts in the real world of horse racing and the neophytes that come out of crypto that are just learning about their assets, uh, and we're going to see a lot of market. Um, uh, volatility driven by both sides. And that's a conversation I could have for a long time to tell you about because it's just okay. fascinating. Okay, uh, so I'm gonna, this, is, this is where I ask the really fun question. As, <clears throat> as the only non-lawyer on this call, <clears throat> you're, you're selling an asset in the digital world that is tied to a, 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 <clears throat> a physical real-world asset as well with the expectations that there is a possibility of return how is this classified? So it's a great question. Um, and uh, we take the position that we are a fantasy game and that our assets are no different than if you acquired Tom Brady as a quarterback for your fantasy league. Um, we don't deal, we deal in tokens. Uh, the tokens have no direct value from us. And when we talk about tokenomics, you'll see that. Uh, this is a game. And the assets that we sell, while they derive their productivity and gameplay from the real world, they have no legal relationship or ownership of any real world assets. Which means that when you're buying a tokenized horse, that horse 
you have no rights to the real horse. So we're not selling you a derivative asset of a real horse. We're selling you a derivative, I'm sorry, a derivative asset that has legal rights to a real world horse. Um, those are arguably considered securities, right? So if somebody fractionalizes a real racehorse and sells you an interest in that horse, that's a security. Uh, and there are companies that are actually doing that. They, you know, you can do that as an uh, in a limited partnership structure, um, or you can do it in a public market structure, which makes it a security. Um, this is a game. Uh, okay. It's a fantasy game, and that's what we rely on uh, to operate this business. And there's a whole set of governing laws, both federal and state laws, that that, that drive that body of law. Perfect. It's outstanding. All now, right. having said having said that, I will tell you that you know the, the waters are still very murky. This is very early, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm not giving advice here or legal opinions here. Um, that's something that everybody has to do, and um, you know we'll see how this space develops. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so we've got some some different <clears throat> ways to to get involved here. Correct. So uh, the first thing you can do is buy a horse. Um, you can buy a horse. You can own the horse. Um, during the period between when a horse is born and when they actually start racing, um, there's an activity called pin hooking that takes place. And there's a whole profession around this where people buy and sell horses based on um, data, such as bloodline, uh, productivity of siblings, training productivity, and other things. So you might see a horse win a graded race this Sunday, and start looking into the background of that horse and the bloodline and say, wow, who's, who else is related to that horse out there? And you might find a horse uh, that's relate, directly related to that horse and say, you know what, I'm going to take a bet on this horse because that horse looks really good. I'll bet you this horse might do just as well. And so you can buy and sell horses um, based on these, these, these factors. And, and we expect that there's going to be a lot of that activity, especially before horses are racing. Um, you can fractionalize and syndicate your horse. You can invite friends to own the horse collectively with you um, or sell pieces of your horse uh, to the public. Um, so let's say you bought... Remember, these horses are... I, I didn't say this, but these horses are going to be dropped annually in a blind traditional NFT drop to create a very level playing field. So in the real world, what happens is you go to an auction. And in that auction, you're competing with very sophisticated people um, that are bidding up horses. And so you may spend $100,000 on a horse. You might spend $2 million on a horse. And, 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 and obviously, just like in the real world of sports, money uh, is king. And so people can get advantages um, by having more money. In our game, we start with a gamified distribution of our NFTs in a random way. So what's really unique about our business that's very different from traditional NFT pub, uh, projects is that our NFTs are organically scarce, which means we don't create rarity tables around a horse. Our horses are rare because a mare can only produce about 13 horses in her lifetime, and a stallion can produce, call it, 4,000 horses in their lifetime. So the combination between a stallion and a mare creates rarity. The fact that your horse sold at auction as a yearling for $500,000 creates rarity because there might have been only 3,000 horses in the entire crop that sold for that amount of money. So these are all organic rarity and not contrived rarity like a lot of these projects that say, okay, we're going to give 5,000 of this collection green eyes and 3,000 of this collection button-down shirts and 2,000 pieces, uh, this type of eyewear. We do that in our avatars, which I'll talk about later, but we don't. But with our horses, it's organic. Um, so there's a lot of that. Uh, you can buy a horse in an NFT drop. 
for let's call it an ETH, and all of a sudden it, you you ended up getting a very valuable horse. You can essentially sell off two tenths of it for what you paid for it, and now you own the rest of the horse free and clear. Or you could sell half of it off, take your money off the table, make a little bit of money, and free ride on the balance. Those are all options. Perfect. Well, I, I'm going to push right over into this slide here, which is which is tokenomics. Yep. <clears throat> and and really, because this is where I want to start diving in and understanding, because there's a lot going on um, that we're hearing, but but I think this slide's very interesting because uh, I mean, if if there's anything Web three that's kind of a buzzword, it's it's right here. So so walk us through kind of the tokenomics. I, I take it you're on the Ethereum uh, ecosystem. So we're on the Ethereum ecosystem for the first drop of our avatars. Okay. Um, and we will be announcing a partnership with a large level two, um, uh, an Ethereum level two platform okay. that will be driving the balance of the economy. Okay. Uh, so it's all tied to the Ethereum blockchain, uh, but we want to create efficiencies from a transaction cost. And so we'll be using a level two protocol for the mo- for most of our assets. Um, this is structured as a DAO. So Game of Silks, which you see at the top right in a pink uh, icon, is our company. Um, we own 100% of the DAO day one. Uh, and we will be the service provider for the DAO as long as we have control of the DAO, and then eventually the public can determine, the community can determine um, uh, who they're going to use to operate the business. The DAO produces all of our assets. So what you see is in the first transaction, the DAO is uh, is tokenizing uh, the horses, selling them to the public. A hundred percent of the proceeds from the sale of all of our assets go into the DAO. The DAO serves as a treasury, which is essentially the economic foundation of our ecosystem. It's also a major barrier to entry um, for people to replicate what we're doing. And when we go into the actual numbers, you'll see why. Every time a secondary market transaction takes place with one of our assets, a percentage of that transaction, 100% of a percentage of that transaction, goes into the DAO as a royalty. The DAO grows indefinitely and in perpetuity. And the only time money comes out of the DAO is to pay for services that need to be paid to support the infrastructure. Okay? Okay. I'm following along. So... With, again, with the sale of all of our assets and with all the transactions, the DAO continues to grow into a very healthy economic foundation. When your horses start racing uh, and win races, you receive a transactional token called STT as a reward for your horse winning a race. And we use algorithms to calculate the appropriate amount to distribute to you to create parity with the real world and with our economy. So that if your horse wins a $100,000 in the real world, um, you will eventually win $100,000 in the metaverse, the equivalent of $100,000 in the metaverse. That token can be used for two things. It can be used to transact on the platform, so you can buy horses, land, stables, other assets, wager on the platform with third parties. You can do a lot of things with that token on the platform in the metaverse. You can also exchange that token for SLK, which is the governance token for the DAO. If the DAO has a million dollars in it and there are a million SLK tokens, then each token is theoretically worth a dollar or the liquidation value of the DAO, because the community can decide at any point to break the piggy bank and distribute the proceeds to the governance token holders, um, theoretically. 
So the only way to acquire SLK, and I should mention that both STT and SLK are non-inflationary tokens. They have fixed amounts, and they will never exceed those amounts. That's a very unique model that's never existed before to my knowledge um, and has always been a flaw to many of these gamified economies. And so with STT, if we run out of tokens to reward racing and breeding, there is a mechanism to replenish that, and that's going to be driven by the secondary market because the DAO will have to go out and buy those tokens to be able to redistribute them, um, which will create um, a market for that. When your horse... So that's how you can acquire STT through racing. When your horse produces offspring, eventually that offspring will make its way back to the silks economy, right? So when a horse is born and it's one year old, if it's going to race, it will be tokenized into an NFT and sold on our platform. When that happens, whether you're the owner of the mare or the stallion, whoever owns that at the time of the sale will receive a distribution of STT automatically as a breeding fee, which will represent a percentage of the transaction of the sale. So by example... If you happen to be lucky enough to own a stallion that's producing 200 offspring a year, and you bought that stallion in the Genesis drop, so it was a one-year-old this year, in three years from now, after it's raced and won a few big races, it may be retired to breed. And in year four, it will have produced 200 uh, offspring, which in year five will become one-year-olds. And in year five, when you look at our projections... Um, uh, you theoretically could receive the equivalent of of thousands of dollars per offspring in a distribution for a breeding every year for the life of that horse. Uh, And so it will replicate the value of that real horse. It's pretty cool. Um, The entire ecosystem is amazing. Talk to me real quick about your team. Because this is this is complex, uh, it, it, and I mean metaverses are generally semi you know simple. So you've got a game, a metaverse, NFTs. There's a lot going on. So so define real quick the team behind this and, and how you're you know apps getting this done. Sure. Um, so uh, I built a very tight team to start this project. Um, I have I've, I believe I sent you a. Uh, a list of our team, which you're welcome to share with the group if you'd like. But uh, on the technology side, uh, I have product and tech segregated. So I've got a product team. They control the look and feel of all the assets. They control all the development of the NFTs. Um, So all the visualization features, all of the rigging, animation, functionality, uh, interoperability, all of that takes place within our product group. And we have a team of about 12 people uh, that are full-time uh, on the team, either as contractors or as employees. On the technology side, um, we will be outsourcing. I have a, a head of technology who comes out of um, you know all of this, out of gaming, working for some of the largest companies um, with a lot of experience. Um, and we're actually partnering with, we're in the final stages of, of signing the contract to partner with um, a YPO uh, a YPOer that runs a leading boutique development shop uh, in New York City. They're going to be managing the initial development of our smart contracts, which are going to power most of the in-game functionality. Um, it's a team of 16 people um, that are going to be working pretty much full-time on this. Um, and then we're going to be partnering with a Unity game shop 
um, and that's all they do. This is going to be built on the Unity um, platform, which is there's two major platforms in Metaverse. There's Unreal and Unity, yep. um, and and everything you see out there is built on one of those two platforms. So uh, we're using best of the best of breed technology. Our white paper actually has um, quite a bit of detail uh, on the tech, which I would um, refer your audience to. Yep. Um, but this is a team of real experienced adults. Um, that uh, have at the leadership level have done this many times. I will say we have a team of very, uh, we also have a team of very young people that come out of this generation, you know, that are in their early to mid 20s. Um, some of the best, brightest, and hardest working people that I've, I've ever worked with. And uh, they're passionate, they're very technology savvy, um, and it's just truly a pleasure to work with them. So, Dan, you've got, you've got a team of people working on. The product side on the on the horses on the avatars on the uh, structures on the metaverse structure. everything and then you got another team that's bifurcated uh, and discrete that's working on the tech um, but you have the benefit of, of an interesting launch because uh, when you launch you still have another year if I'm not mistaken before you actually <clears throat> have to have the rubber hit the road um, Correct. and so, so can you walk us through the timing? Absolutely. So you're spot on. Um, the way we developed this project, and it was interesting because there were there was a lot of back and forth around engagement during you know a long period rollout. Um, this is a large scale project. Um, we've thought it through, proof of concept. We have all the pieces in place. We know how to build this, um, and we have the roadmap. Um, but we have to stagger the development and we have the luxury of time. So rather than waiting till this is completely built, uh, the first thing we're doing is we're dropping our Silk's avatars. The, um, so a Silk avatar is your identity in the metaverse. In the real world of horse racing, <clears throat> um, the jockey wears a uniform that's called a Silk. The Silk is actually a family crest. It identifies the owner of the horse that the jockey is racing for and it's typically draped around the horse on their blinkers on the jockey um uh you could find it in the stables uh and it's the identity of the ownership and there you can actually see um what a silks avatar looks like every silks avatar has a unique uh identity both the logo or the patterns that represent the uniform as well as certain attributes around the way they look and they feel Uh, and so that becomes your Identity. You can walk around the metaverse. Uh, all of your assets become dressed with your identity. So, for example, in this particular case, you're looking at an avatar that has a horse wearing the same silks. And the reason for that is because we're a Web 3.0 enabled metaverse. So when you walk into the metaverse, the metaverse is reading your wallet. And every asset you own in the metaverse is now identified with you. Um, so uh, that's the first drop. That's happening in four weeks. Um, we are uh, distributing a collection of 10,000 of these avatars. Their primary utility um, is, one, it's going to, it makes you a member of the community, an investor in the community. Uh, two, it guarantees you a whitelist spot for the horse drop for our first crop of yearlings, which we expect to be sold out um, many times over. So you're guaranteed a horse. Uh, and then it's going to give you other um, uh, other uh, uh, utilities um uh, like airdrops and access to other uh, assets um, as we develop this. So we kind of look at our Silks avatar um, holders as our uh, early investors. Um, that's the first piece. Once you've bought the avatar, um, you'll then have an opportunity to participate in our yearling drop. That's going to take place towards the end of the summer. 
and and that's going to be the sale of we're not actually going to sell 20,000 in the first year we're culling the crop and we're literally identifying the best prospects to release as our first generation so that our users have the greatest opportunity to have a gr- a good experience so in the real world 20,000 horses are sold are born and sold of those 20,000 horses a small percentage of those horses will never race they just never get through training to be good enough to race a small percentage of those a percentage of those horses will race but never win um and so there's a lot of risk in horse racing ownership right um we provide a variety of ways to offset that risk where you can buy uh, you build a stable of multiple horses. You can syndicate horses. You can pull horses in a um, by staking them to a farm. There's a lot of ways to diversify your risk. Um, but we, because these are yearlings, they have a year before they can race. So we will literally have a year to build out the full functionality of the metaverse from the end of the summer, so, or about a year and a half from now. So I, I think a lot of people are going to be able to to figure out where this goes in that sense. But what they might not see is how you get there. What has to happen from the code side, uh, from the team development side, to get from the the whitelist auction, which will, which let's say that happens in around May first ish, to the, what the first races on on the on the executive Dan has to get a bunch of stuff accomplished. What has to happen for this to actually be a viable project? Because you you probably can't slip your dates. Right, you have to line up with the races in, in year two. Absolutely, you have absolutely. some time, but tell us what has to happen. Sure. So, <clears throat> so the two big functions that don't have to happen for a while are breeding and racing, right? Which is also the essence of the economy. So early on, we're going to have the ability for you to trade your horses right out of the gate. No pun intended. There's a lot of horse puns out there that are very relevant to it turns pretty out, much anybody. It turns out that this, this industry's already infected us. Exactly. <laughs> um, you'll, the metaverse will be built out. You'll be able to buy land. You'll be able to build structures. That's going to come towards the end of this year. Um, you'll be able to syndicate very quickly. You'll be able to pool uh, your horse and stake them to a horse farm. So a lot of the community engagement will already be there. The big two things that have to happen are the smart contracts associated with breeding, um, the um, oracles that acquire our data, and the, um, and the scholar program that allows the public to mine data and populate our database. And finally, the biggest component to this is the, is the racing. You will be able to visit any racetrack in this country and eventually in the world in our metaverse and literally experience the racetrack as if you were there. You'll be able to watch your horse race in real time in your silks in the racetrack. You'll be able to go up to the betting window, place a bet at Churchill Downs or at Belmont or at Del Mar. Um, that bet will route directly to their ADW and they'll make, we're not getting into the gaming business, into the gambling business. We're pushing, the, we're facilitating these tracks to build their structures. They're feeding us their real-time data. We're simulcasting with our NFTs, the races. So when the race is taking place, um, at Keeneland in Kentucky, you can visit Keeneland in our metaverse and watch the horse race in real time from the stands. You'll be able to get together in a suite with your buddies that own the race with you. And if your horse wins, you'll be able to walk down to the winner's circle uh, as if you were the real owner of that horse. Will there be uh, uh, creepy degenerate gamblers, you know, <laughs> sulking away from the betting windows as they lose their 
You know, one of the big value propositions for the industry and why the industry is going to want to work with us, and, you know, without getting into a lot of detail, we're, you know, steeped in this industry, and uh, there's a lot of exciting announcements that we hope to, you know, to release, um, you know, in the coming months as we begin to um, bring this industry on board. Um, uh, they need... Um, uh, they need a resurgence in their profile and in the community. So similar to poker and, you know, poker was a great example, right? It was basically a lot of degenerates and, and maybe today it still is, but um, it's glorified, right? Yeah. It became a national sport. Yeah, that's um, we, we think that the same thing will happen, right? So by creating a, by blurring the line between spectator and owner, we're giving access, we're democratizing the game. Uh, of kings to the average person. Now, I want to cheat a little bit. I want to go, I want to skip ahead for a minute. Um, do I need to have an avatar to be able to buy land or to be able to buy? You don't. Okay. And, and you don't. The only reason you need an avatar is if you own a horse. And horse. if you own a horse directly, if you're a syndicator, if you're a limited partner, you don't need, uh, a, you don't need a silk. And, um, and then on the other side of the fence, um, do you have anti-monopoly thoughts in your mind? Do you have that you can't <laughs> corner of the market, so to speak? You know, it's interesting. I've never been asked that question, so I don't have a good answer for you, uh, in all honesty. Um, I think that having a website that aggregates the industry um, is not a monopoly. Uh, I think that there are a lot of ways to bet on horses. Um, we're, still, uh, you're still, we're still competing with the real world. Um, but we're, we're competing with a world where people aren't showing up at the tracks as much anymore. Right. And, uh, and the younger generation is really not into the sport. And I can tell you, when you go to our Discord, and our Discord is growing organically by hundreds of users a day. We've been pub This has been in stealth mode for a year. Uh, we launched to the public, our social channels, uh, 18 days ago, I think, today. Um, you know, we're approaching 10,000 people on Discord. Um, and these are all people. It's a, it's a mix of horse people, and it's a mix of crypto people that want to get in the game. And so we see a tremendous amount of interest in this category. Um, and we're not the first ones to enter the metaverse or to at least enter horse racing as a category with NFTs. Um, you know, there's a famous project called Zed Run, which came out about a year and a half ago, um, that offers a game that has nothing to do with us, but it's themed in horse racing. Yeah. Um, right? They offer, it's a, basically, it's a betting game. It's a player versus player betting game. Um, it operates very similar to a sit-and-go poker tournament where you can buy a horse. It's a digital fictional horse that has a fictional bloodline. And you can enter it into a race against 11 other people. And when 12 people sign up for the race, um, then they pull a slot machine uh, and an algorithm determines who's going to win. And, and then they animate the race, yeah. and whoever wins gets the pot. Yeah. Um, that has nothing to do with us, but you know they've sold hundreds of millions of dollars worth of fake horses in, in, in the form of NFTs uh, and have a vibrant community. So, and there are about a dozen copycats to them. Uh, so there's definitely an interest in this category. And by bringing the real world of horse racing uh, to the metaverse, I think we're going to see tremendous adoption. Dan, you mentioned well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Go ahead. Oh, sorry, I, I just want to kind of go like a, a, a few steps back. Where did horse? Uh, like, are you an avid, you know, uh, you know, fan of, of horse racing, or where did where did this come from? Because um, clearly, you know, the fantasy thought of what you're doing is an, is is incredible idea, and and clearly, there's you know, a lot of thought has gone into this. Why did you choose horse racing? So it's a great question. I didn't choose horse racing. I chose. I, I'm a big fantasy guy. I've been involved in fantasy for a long time, both as a consumer and as a professional. Um, I was approached by, I was introduced to somebody, to the CEO of a, of a company called Tropical Racing, which is a, a public um, 
uh, a horse farm that breeds, syndicates races, um, and uh, uh, by a prior investor of mine. And um, they were looking; they were trying to figure out a strategy to get into uh, NFTs. And um, through that introduction, I learned a lot about the industry, and ultimately became uh, that 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 um, company became our lead investor uh, in our uh, in our seed, in our first seed round. Um, and that's how I learned about the industry. Um, and what really got me excited about this space was how perfectly it fits into metaverse and NFTs and Web 3.0. And, and, and the reasons for that is, one, you have a sport where I can, have, I can build a community around a one-to-one relationship between a person and a competitor. You can't do that in a traditional sport. At the Crown League, when we were building our, our game, the way we created communities was to build collectively owned teams, right? You could have 10,000 people that own a fantasy team. In, but you can't do one-to-one. I can't own Tom Brady because there aren't enough people to create a vibrant community. With 20,000 rookies coming into this game a year, I can build a vibrant community. And then if I can create sh- uh, you know, small shared communities, micro-communities, all of a sudden I can introduce 200,000 new people to the game a year and build a community of millions of people. Um, <clears throat> that's one. Two, horses have longevity. So you're creating an NFT that has a life cycle that can be 25 or 30 years, right? You can buy an NFT that literally has has utility for 30 years. That doesn't exist today. Okay, so I, I, now I've got to ask the question. I'm going <clears> to <throat> apologize for derailing it. I've been to two <laughs> horse races in my life. <clears throat> and, and on one of those, they had to bring out the curtain. Um, and, and, and the horse, you know, went off to the glue factory. Is there a metric for uh, for that happening here? If it if it happens in real life, it, it happens in. I think in, that's uh, going to be the name itself. of my stable. Is glue factory? Like is glue, glue factory? factory. <laughs> the answer is yes. Okay. Everything that happens in the real world happens here. Now, interestingly enough, since you brought it up, the only time a horse is reported to die is if it happens on the track. Um, that's the rule. If it doesn't happen on the track, there's really no way of knowing it unless it's public, unless it's a famous horse. And therefore, we have an algorithm that tracks um, productivity. Uh, if after a certain period of time, a horse hasn't been scheduled to race and hasn't published breeding data, we deem that horse to be retired. And in that case, we're, create, we're going to create a section of the metaverse uh, where we create utility for those horses in the form of uh, fictional games where you can race your horse in a similar type of manner where you can do it today. Um, Off to pass. And, and that's where I'm going to dominate, Jay. All my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> the glue factory stable is going to come after him. Yes. So, so I, again, and I, I asked the question because there, there's so many facets to this because you're tying into real life. You're not just saying, you know, here's you know, 20,000 randomly generated horses with 100,000 randomly generated traits. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a one-to-one, one-to-one representation of, of a horse. And then there's so much of this data that, that's flowing in. How do you, yeah. how, how are you filtering and ensuring the data is correct? Okay. So that's a great question. So one, this data is publicly available in thousands of locations. So, um, you can find that data on racetrack websites. You can find the data in public databases 
um, that are sponsored by the registrar. You can find it on handicapping sites. You can find it in newspapers. Many, many sources of data. Um, we're going to acquire that data multiple ways. We're going to acquire the data through um, oracles that go out and and um, and uh, and grab the data from public sites. And we're also going to acquire the data through the community. So part of our model is to incentivize the community to go out there and validate the data. So for example, when there's a race that takes place, um, uh, that data is publicly available, the results of that data. If 20 people from our community go out and get that data and populate that data in our databases, um, through consensus and staking and proof of stake, we can validate that data and then use that data to settle the contests. So if your horse came in second in the third race at Churchill Downs and our community validates that data as truth, we can now release a payment of tokens to you as a reward. Um, that is a truly decentralized way to operate this platform. We don't rely on it, but if we ever want it to be completely decentralized, we could be. And that also provides an opportunity similar to Axie Infinity, where instead of paying people to play games, we're paying people to actually build databases um, and creating economies and jobs in third world countries um, that's never been done before. So imagine crowdsour crowdsourcing databases that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And over time, our databases will have incredible, incredible utility, both in our game and for the real world. We're also leveraging the value of, you know, of data that exists in the real world, which is 100% relevant to what we're doing. So when you research your horse that you acquired in a drop, you're using public data to tell you the value of that horse. Without get, I'm not going to get into the detail of prices, but these are this is how the Dow generates income and how we're able to replicate the economy. So each year we release a collection of avatars that give people the opportunity to create an identity within the metaverse. Each year we drop a collection of yearlings that are tokenized from the real world horses. Each year... Uh, we is that, is that a, a single drop or is that layered out single, over the year? As it is right now, it's going to be scheduled as a single drop. Okay. Yeah. So the horses typically are sold in a very tight time frame as yearlings, and we're going to sell the horses and time the drop right around the time of the real auctions. Interesting. Okay. Um, land and stables and other structures. Um, you'll be able to build out estates, trick them out, um, and we'll build collections similar to the way Star Atlas does um, with their spaceships, for those of you that are familiar with their collections. So that's a revenue stream. Uh, and then obviously every time our, our, our assets are traded, we receive royalties. The Dow receives royalties. Um, the affiliate marketing line is the line that's generated from the pushing of bets um, to the tracks and receiving a royalty for that or an affiliate marketing fee for that. We think there's an opportunity in the in, in, in um developing assets for companies and advertising and sponsorship. And then finally, we're going to stake the DAO. <clears throat> so it will create yield for, uh, for the community. And what you can see, and the reason I wanted to show you this slide is the real world of horse racing generates about a billion dollars in prize money a year. And when we can get to that point of creating a billion dollars of inflow into the DAO, we can distribute tokens that are backed by that same inflow without diluting the value of the DAO. And so we believe, based on our current projections, that it will take somewhere between six and seven years for the market to pay for horses in an NFT drop at a level equal to what the real horses sell for in real life and therefore create enough inflows to be able to distribute tokens that reward you in the same way 
where you, there's an economic indifference between whether your horse is real or whether your horse is virtual. So when your horse races and wins a million dollars in the real world, you're e- winning the equivalent of a million dollars in our world. So I'm going to get a real horse and it's going to be named economic indifference. I love it. The names are just <laughs> they're coming right to me in this, this podcast. It's amazing. So anyhow, so, I wanted to show this to you because amazing. literally it's going to take us about seven years to reach parity with yeah. the real world economy. No, I, I love it. So I, I'm going to you know, bring it in and, and um, you know, kind of we'll, we'll move through to close here because I've got a couple more questions. The, the thing that's so amazing to me about what you've done with Silks is you haven't even launched and the complexity but simplicity of what you're doing is, is fabulous. Um, we see a lot of time like Axie Infinity. We don't we know what they do. It's it's a simplistically stupid game of which I couldn't... And not a lot of fun. I, I couldn't get into it. But it was a very... But very much there's hundreds uh, hundreds of thousands of people around the world that are playing this game and earning a living again these are not people in the United States or in first world countries but in third world countries that are that are making a living um, doing what 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 is uh, you know again would to most people would be like a, a little game they play for five minutes <clears throat> I think the economics and tokenomics that you're rolling out here in silks um, will absolutely bring a different level and a higher level uh, of earning capability to those parts of the world and also probably parts of the world that have n- no idea what <clears throat> horse racing is. Um, and so a little bit of exposure for to, to this this class. Yeah, I mean, I look, I think that the ideas that we've um, developed within this marketplace within this metaverse um, promotes a variety of things that have never been seen before. The establishment of micro-communities, the establishment of crowdsourced databases, the development of crowdsourced database, the ability to invest in gaming um, assets that have very long-term utility. Um, All of these things have never really been done before. The ability to actually parallel a real economy and create parity with it. Um, <clears throat> I think we'll see more of that. Um, I think we'll see incredible ideas come about um, where you'll be able to essentially replicate economies. Um, in fact, that's part of our vision and mission. Um, so I'm being maniacally focused on this vertical because we want to get this right. It's too big of an opportunity. But there are dozens of verticals where you could apply very similar um, uh, economy create similar parallel economies and gamify them. What, and, what's you know, the uh, what's the UI going to be? Is it going to be an app on your <clears> phone? <throat> Is it going to be you know a, a, a VR um, thing? What how how will people visually see all of this that you're talking about? So um, you're going to see it if you, if you look at the video uh, of the uh, of the trailer um, that you can show uh, to the group uh, at some point or visit our website at silks.io uh, you can watch and see a little bit of the metaverse um, the uh, the end of that video shows an actual race at um, uh, at a, an iconic racetrack uh, that's what it's going to look like okay. you literally will be walking into um, every stadium every track in eventually the world uh, and be able to experience it that way the UI um, will have um, buttons that give you functionality you'll be able to walk into um, a stable somebody's stable and let's say it's a 10 horse uh, 10 acre 10 horse farm you'll be able to interact with the horses your NFT is a living breathing three-dimensional creature you as the owner because your wallet has that horse in it, 
it will know that you're the owner. And when you approach that horse, it will interact with you differently than if the public visits and approaches the horse. And you'll be able to do all kinds of things with that horse. You'll be able to feed it. You'll be able to take it out of its stable. You'll be able to run it on a training track. You'll be able to do a lot of things that create emotional connectivity between you and this three-dimensional digital virtual asset. Um, The public will be able to Learn about every horse in your stable by walking up to the stable. They'll be able to see trophies. They'll be able to see their earnings. They'll be able to see their performance. They'll be able to buy your horse right out of your stable if they want to because your horse will be connected to the marketplace. Um, So lots of really cool ways, uh, very intuitive ways to interact. When your horse is racing, it'll disappear from your stable and it'll appear uh, at the racetrack. Uh, And you'll be notified of it. as will the rest of the community. There will be structures like there will be a Hall of Fame where you know the top stables are displayed there. The top horses are displayed draped with their silks and you know really cool interactive experiences to educate. A lot of this is about education. I mean, when you play fantasy sports, you have to learn about the players, right? Mm-hmm. So you you know there are tons of um, third party websites that provide you and sell you content to help you better manage your. Uh, your team and your trade, acquire, etc. Uh, in our game, there it's the same thing, right? You're going to want to learn everything about every relevant horse that's out there, and that's going to give you the advantages because this is a game of skill at the end of the day. Dan, I got to tell you, I'm really impressed. I'm excited to see how it goes. Your drops in your drops in what? Four weeks. Four weeks. Uh, I think we haven't published the date, but by the time this comes out, uh, will be published. I think that the whitelist um, is uh, April 27th, and okay. then very shortly thereafter, within a day or two, is going to be early access and then the public sale. And to, to be Super clear, you, you buy an avatar if you're whitelisted and you buy a horse, so it's two transactions? It's two transactions. Okay. So you buy an avatar that makes you a member of the community and owner of the, uh, of the platform. Um, and uh, and a stakeholder. Uh, And that gives you your identity, and it also gives you a mint pass. I don't think we're going to have a public sale for the horses. I think that what will happen is um, it's going to be a a closed community to start with, and then the secondary market will develop. Um, So if you want to buy a horse in the the drop, you'll probably have to buy an avatar in the secondary market. You certainly will, actually. Amazing. Dan, how, what's the best way for people to, uh, to learn more? Uh, silks.io and, and uh, where, where, where are you hanging out at? Yeah, so silks.io, uh, I would encourage you to uh, download the white paper, which is very informative. Um, I would encourage you to join the Discord, which is hyperactive, uh, and get on the whitelist through Discord. Uh, and you can also register for early access. Um, so after our whitelist sells out, we're going to carve out a bulk of the um, availability of our avatars to um, to uh, early access members, so you can connect your wallet now. Uh, I can tell you that we're, um, again, 18 days into this, we're a third of the way um, sold out, and I think it's going to go in the next 10 or 15 days. So I uh, encourage people, if they awesome. like the concept and you want to be a part of this, um, to uh, to get involved. Dan, thank you so much for swinging by. Mike, thank you so much for co-hosting Why Whales. And for everyone else, uh, that's Silks. And we'll have you back on, Dan, uh, a little bit after launch. We'll hear how it's going. Don't go go anywhere, but thank you guys. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. 
YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by TruthWork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.